0: What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. I'm Brendan Schaefer, here with you in the early morning hours now of Wednesday, July 27th, 2022, as the Cardinals series in Toronto. Well, it's halfway over, guys. That's the good news. Uh, The bad news is, well, maybe it had the result in game one that we might have expected going into the series, knowing that the Cardinals would be without two of their top hitters. But we can be honest, it wasn't. The lost impacts of Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt that lost game one for the Cardinals. Oh, yeah, there's a pitching problem for this team as well. And because the game was so disappointing and there weren't too many positives to take away from it, I'm not going to spend too much time tonight dissecting what took place in the Cardinals' 10-3 loss to the Blue Jays. I do want to, though, make a quick mention of some of the fallout still of the conversation surrounding the vaccine mandate and the, the rules that have caused Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt to be unable to play in this series, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going back over it because we did talk at length about it in the previous episode. And if you're wondering where B-Shape Daily was on Tuesday morning, the storms in the St. Charles County area sort of wiped out the opportunity for me to record and post a podcast. I didn't know when the internet would be back on. turned out it was... Before noon on Tuesday, but with my day, I just did not have time to get everything figured out the way I wanted. So unfortunately, just wasn't able to do a show on Tuesday, but we'll be back on the grind here now and and moving forward with B-Shape Daily. But my goodness, I did spend a lot of time throughout my day on Tuesday discussing on Twitter, you know, the, the impact and the conversation surrounding this difficult and understandably sensitive conversation that surrounds a vaccination mandate that is costing the Cardinals a couple of their players in this series, and it's been conversations about personal decisions and why do you care, why do you keep harping on this, why are you bashing these guys? I hope that anybody who listened Sunday night, which would have been the Monday morning b Shafe Daily, to that podcast doesn't see the way I've been approaching this as bashing Arnato or Goldschmidt. Uh, I I've still continue to maintain and, and talk about maintaining the, a level of respect for these guys, uh, for the work that they put in. The dedication is something I've not questioned. I don't think anywhere, whether it's been on Twitter, whether it's been on the radio, on KTGR, in written form, on the podcast, in, in, any, in any space have I said, these are guys who are bad teammates. They're not dedicated. They don't want to win. No, it's really been the opposite of that. I know, and in, in, – I feel like I've talked about this already, but I wanted to reiterate because it's been the entire day. And maybe the people that I'm debating with on Twitter aren't the people who are going to take the time to listen to Be Shape Daily. And there, is, some of the people are. I've gotten good comments from people who say, "Hey, I don't actually agree with you on everything you said, but I really appreciate the way you approached it." And that's honestly, bottom line, what I have been shooting for with all of this. And I don't, I miss, I, I lose the plot from time to time, especially on Twitter, because I'll tell you, uh, th- there's a number of of ways that a Twitter thread can go off the rails and it can happen really quickly. And sometimes I even catch myself where I say, I wish I hadn't engaged to that level, but I I'm trying to make sure I'm interacting with everybody and, and trying to respect the views. But also there are times where I, I sort of have to take a stand and, and tell you when I disagree, but the latest iteration of why this has been taking place still, even a couple of days after the news first broke about Goldsmith and Arnato Uh, was that last night I noticed before going to bed Katie Wu's article that she wrote. I saw the tweet of it where she said within the tweet that she spoke to both players via phone later that initial night. And I said, well, I haven't seen this. I'd like to see what they said. And in both cases, they really declined to go into more specifics about their statuses and their reasons for not being vaccinated. Because they say they've got reasons. It's personal. And I understand the personal nature of it. But I, I have sort of maintained that, A, it's a competitive disadvantage. I've said that since the beginning. And that's been about the process over the results. I, the reason I spent time talking about it before the series and not after is because I'm not trying to go after the fact and point the finger at either of these guys and say, here's why the Cardinals lost these games. That's really not a productive way to go about this, in my opinion. And I don't. it's not my goal either. And if you look at a 10-3 to game today, of course, you could say, well, the pitching is the reason the Cardinals did not win this game. Andre Pallante didn't have a good start. He was dealing with trouble from the very beginning in the first inning. Uh, Part of the reason that maybe I've been talking about preferring Pallante in the bullpen, I think that could be a better role for him if the Cardinals could find really two more starting pitchers at this point. The bullpen didn't do its job. Jordan Hicks, Junior Fernandez, gives up the grand slam to George Springer. I mean, and then really struggled thereafter. They came in to pitch the next inning and wasn't particularly successful. So, the pitching let the Cardinals down today. We'll see how Wednesday's game goes. We don't know the outcome of that yet. But that's why I wanted to make clear my my entire opinion on the the Goldschmidt and Arnado situation prior to knowing the results. And I've had people debating me and saying, well, the folks that have made a big deal out of this are really going to look silly in the aftermath if the Cardinals win these games. Because their entire point will be moot. And that's really not... Accurate. Because if my if my premise, right, if my premise and the narrative that I was trying to push was the Cardinals lose these games because of no Goldsmith and Arnado, then that's why they missed the playoffs by a game or two. Then Arnado and Goldsmith are bad teammates, and I told you so. That's never really been my goal. And I feel like a lot of times when somebody is amped up and charged up about a topic, whether this is politics or sports, it doesn't really make a difference. And and we're seeing the intersection of those two things in a lot of ways now. But when somebody's really fired up about something, they just kind of get entrenched in, well, here's the narrative and here's the thing that needs to take place for my team to win the argument, my political team, whatever the case might be. And I have genuinely tried to not approach it from that perspective where I don't have a team. I have a job. I, I cover the Cardinals. I write about them. I talk about them on the radio. I've dedicated this podcast to being a Cardinals-centric podcast, especially during the season. There may be time to time when I talk about fantasy football coming up, but I'll let you know so you don't accidentally click on an article, or pardon me, on a podcast that you don't want to see as a Cardinals fan if it's about football, which you may not care about. But I talk about the St. Louis Cardinals at length, at nauseum, during the season, in the offseason, talking about everything pertaining to this team. So when two of the best players on the team, arguably the two best players on the team, two all-star players who are as dedicated as any Cardinal I've seen since covering this team in the beginning of 2016, I mean, this it's been that long for me, just really straight out of college. You've had some good players, some Matt Holidays that were, that were around toward the end of his career uh, when I was first coming in seen Yachty or Molina up close. This year has been a different story for Yachty, but you've seen the Wainwrights of the world. Now getting a chance to watch Albert up and close and personal toward the end of his career. But Goldsmith and Aronado, I mean, they are at the top in terms of just the consistency with which they have done their work in the time that they've been here in St. Louis that I've been around to watch. So I would never question the dedication of either of these guys. I try to be as clear in my tone and in my words about that as I can be. But that is precisely what makes it so fascinating, compelling, and interesting. And, and at times, yeah, disappointing if you think about it through that lens. That this is a situation the Cardinals are faced with. Not because, and maybe other writers have taken this approach or other talk show people have taken this approach. And if they have, I'm not trying to bash them either or demean them for the way they think through this. Because I, I really, it's an analysis question to me. I'm trying to analyze what's going on. And I see all those things that I've said, the positives about these players, and I say, gosh, goodness! It must be something so significant uh, in their mind, whether it's real or whether it's uh, you know some some unfortunate information that maybe isn't reality. Either way, they they certainly believe it with conviction in their hearts and in their souls that this is the way they ought to protect their family. Or whatever the whatever the justification is, right? We haven't gotten a lot of concrete detail about that, other than some emotional pleas about. We uh, doing what's best for myself, my family, moving forward. And I think just the nature of the public nature of this conversation that's been going on in our country and in our world for about two and a half years now, there there are certain things that we know and and certain things that have been shown to be true over the course of time about COVID, and there are certain things that we're learning as we go. You know, people a lot of angry people today said. You know, the the people that were touting the vaccine at the beginning said, if you get this vaccine, you won't be able to contract or pass along COVID. Honest to goodness, that was two years ago. I can't remember specifically what was being said at first. I didn't get the vaccine right away, mostly because I'm a, a procrastinator and it took a while for me to, to go and, and do it. I went to the uh, the old, now it's not called the Edward Jones Stone, but whatever it's called in St. Louis, I eventually got that done, but... There were questions at the beginning, and I never would have believed, like, okay, these people just came up with this vaccine. They're telling me that it's going to prevent me from being able to pass this along. That sounds like maybe wishful thinking. And if people were passing that along, and I think there were certainly people that were trying to make those claims, they were wrong. Like, we don't have to pick our political team and say it's one or the other. These vaccines are great or these vaccines are terrible. We, we, we could be nuanced and, and follow the data on, on what things are part of it is interesting to me because I know it tends to be folks who are not aligned with the vaccine or not into it. They want the personal choice at least to not be able to do it. Those people tended to be supporters of president Trump and that he's the guy that really streamlined trying to get it out as quickly as possible. And now the new administration is obviously trying to, to continue that, but it's just so interesting the way, the way things shift in culture and politics, the way that I don't, expect because I frankly don't follow it all that closely, but then when it, it gets involved in your life, you, you can hardly help but be aware of it. But the point I'm trying to make is whatever was said at the beginning of, of the pandemic with regard to the vaccine, I feel like now we see a lot of data to say that, hey, even if you're still passing it along and you've got to wear masks, and I know people are frustrated about that, and the, there's different layers to describe the things that people were upset about with this whole thing. Uh, we do know that a lot of people have died, right? And that's the saddest part of it all. As a human, let's just appeal to our human nature and say we, we've lost loved ones and, and people who have had their quality of life uh, go down or disappear entirely. I mean, people a lot of people have gone through some hard stuff with this. And while I'm, I'm here admitting that probably at the beginning, uh, there was some misinformation that the vaccines may have been oversold with how effective they'd be. And then there's, variants of COVID that makes make the vaccines less effective and all of this stuff is thrown into this and whether or not Canada should be able to mandate this at this point, is it even effective? Does it make any sense? I could argue no. A lot of people would agree with that. Maybe others would disagree. But I think the thing that I wish we really could as a society get on board with, and I just don't know that it's ever going to happen based on conversations I had on Twitter today, but just in terms of the vaccine, if we could get outside of thinking that, well, we were told that it would prevent the spread and you wouldn't be able to contract and spread it if you got this. And that's not true. If we could get over that and recognize that, man, the data sure does support that people are staying out of the hospital more often. They're dying less frequently. And in turn, that just keeps everybody a little bit safer. I know that the the more recent variants aren't as deadly, but you just don't necessarily know what's around the corner. And so I, I feel like that from that angle, I wish we could at least have a few things as a society that we'd agree with about the vaccine. I'm okay, though, if that's not going to be a place that we get to today, because I do want to try to talk mostly about baseball, right? And so I just want to articulate that while I may have differing views, and despite what Twitter may think, I'm not the, this flaming liberal or something that can't be reasoned with that's attacking and bashing these players. Like I said, if, I feel like if you're listening to this, you hear my tone, you hear where I'm coming from. Uh, whether we agree, see eye to eye on all the, the elements of this, I'm really approaching it from a perspective of I trust in everything about both of these players in terms of their dedication. And that's why I, I know that there must be, I should hope that there would be some great reason that they wouldn't go through with this that's uh, behind the scenes. And I want to reiterate that I know that I'm not owed the explanation for why. I don't think it's bashing these guys to highlight that when given an opportunity in a private setting with a reporter that's trusted like Katie, that they were both on the phone with her, that they still really didn't go into detail any further than they did in a group setting uh, on Sunday in Cincinnati when the news kind of broke and both guys talked to the media that was assembled there. I'm highlighting that because I think it's noteworthy. I don't think it's because they're bad people or bad teammates, but I think it's noteworthy because of what the team setting and the competitive nature and desire of the sport and and to be a St. Louis Cardinal and to represent the organization and the fan base, like all that goes into that. I know how much these guys value that. So then when I see things in, in the comments that they make about, well, you know, there's no guarantee. Nolan said this in Katie's article with the athletic, there's no guarantee of course, that we would win the games, even if we were there. I know it raises our chances, but it's not a guarantee. And I, I just saw that. And I was disappointed in that as well, because I thought Nolan, you are the guy that wouldn't even want to miss a single game. You don't want to come out for an inning. This You're a gamer as much as anybody. So it just feels like a little disingenuous that you'd turn around and say, well, we're the best players on the team. But if we're not there, it's not it's not a guarantee it's going to impact the outcome. Well, sure, nothing is a guarantee. But it's just disappointing that that's never a mindset that he's taken before. And like I said, there might be reasons behind the scenes as to why. Am I owed those reasons? Does he have a responsibility to me or anybody else to share them? He doesn't. I mean, it is a free country. It is the beauty of America in so many ways that he he can do anything he pleases. And he was asked about it a couple different times, as was Goldie, and they didn't really they declined to get into specifics. They wanted to remain what they called that private, personal medical decision. And they can do that. That's within their rights. But I I do feel it's within my right and kind of my job description to follow up with that and say, that's really interesting. Here's where I don't think that meshes with the personality and the dedication that we know them to have every other situation besides this one. And then talk about it. It's not to say I'm bashing these guys, but I really do think it's, it is a dichotomy. I've used that word and I've used the term cognitive dissonance because outside of this, it's just so unlike either player to to put their team in this sort of position that's really the long and short of it and it's the end of it after Wednesday they won't be playing in Toronto anymore barring World Series and I promise you if it comes up again there's not going to be I I, I hesitate to believe that the same people who are calling it no big deal now would feel that way if the Cardinals played in Toronto in the World Series now they might devote much of their ire toward Canada at that point in the law rather than at the players themselves and you know that's perfectly fine but I'm I'm just trying to to see through to all these scenarios and say if it's if it's good enough for one, wouldn't it be good enough for the other? This is just regular season games; they play 162. Like there is any way you can frame this, depending on which side of the ledger you stand on and your beliefs on this, to end up feeling good about your argument. You can you can absolutely win the argument with yourself, certainly by by framing it in your head a certain way. But I'm just trying to stay toward the middle and go. Isn't this interesting to highlight? I wish it didn't have to be this way, but I it's just it's one of the more notable things that has happened to me. I'm not calling it selfish. I'm not calling it bad teammate. I if you've listened back, I feel like I've I don't feel like I've said any of those things because it's not how I feel. I wanna I wanna just ask questions more than I want to demonize or or bash. People have said I've bashed. I don't know that it's been that way. But I do ask questions and, and if the questions have been asked by the reporters that were there, I wish I could have been there. Got a lot going on this year and have not been able to to travel to road games. But it's a situation where I think if you're someone who enjoys the rights and the freedoms of expression, to express or not to express, in the case of these players who really have been very vague. They haven't you know, Goldsmith said, I talked to my doctors, medical professionals, people I'm close to, and here's what decision I came to that, I think if you read that closely and you're not reading it with a bias, you'll see that he didn't say, I talked to my doctor who said I shouldn't vaccinate. I don't think these guys have said that. It's just kind of creative phrasing. So you could give them the benefit of the doubt and say there really is a reason beneath it and it's private and we don't need to bug them about it anymore. And I would respect you for doing so. My stance is more, hey, we've seen a lot of, we've seen millions of people decline the vaccine for various reasons. And I've seen... You follow the the rabbit hole to the end, and a lot of times those reasons are pretty flimsy. It's within their right to have flimsy reasoning, but a lot of times it is. And in this case, we don't know. They didn't really express it very much. I've seen a lot of people say, well, that's just good PR. They shouldn't express it because the less they talk about it, the quicker this goes away. And that is absolutely true. And I'm not trying to feed into it to make it a story longer than it's going to be. Like I said, they're playing the series right now, so it's still going to be in the news cycle. It won't be something we talk about after, like, tomorrow's podcast, Wednesday night, which you'll you'll hear Thursday morning, I, I would bet it's the last time we hear anything of it until maybe the Cardinals return from this road trip, and if it's asked about during the first game of the homestand and there are inflammatory or otherwise interesting quotes that come out of it, it probably gets brought up next week at that point in time. Otherwise, this is the end of it. I don't think I have any power to, to increase the length that this story has legs. It just is what it is for this week because the Cardinals are playing without those guys. So, I did what I often do. I droned on. I appreciate you if you're just because this is cathartic for me as well. Like just to be able to talk through this, this situation. I don't. I haven't lost respect for Nolan Arenado or Goldschmidt in this process. I I don't try to bash these guys. I I have a lot of respect for them still. I believe they're the same dedicated players that uh, they've always been, and that is what it's just. It's dissonance. It's when two things that you know to be true and it just they don't match up and your brain kind of gets scrambled over it. And that's all I'm doing. I'm trying to talk through it for maybe for my own benefit more than anything else. So that's why I spent another 20 minutes on it today. But let's get into, I promised you guys some more fun stuff, and I am going to get into it. There's really not a lot to say about the game. Um, I mentioned the pitching wasn't very good. Actually, offensively, I still like what you're seeing from Dylan Carlson. Two for five, he hit a home run today. Tommy Edmonds hitting the ball well, spraying it all over the yard. Two for four at a leadoff spot. He reached base three times. He walked as well, so that's good to see. Um, Dickerson, Newt Barpujols are the only other Cardinals to get any hits today. Newt reaches base three times with a hit and two walks. C. Dick, two for four. Several walks for uh, the lineup tonight, just five in total. But it's just not a really great night offensively. Jose Barrios was pretty solid against the Cardinals. The pitching was the issue. Andre Palante, I think he's solid. He's still got a three-and-a-half ERA after tonight. But I just don't know the frequency with which you can expect him to get through six in this rookie season. He did it early on in his tenure as a starter. Not looking so hot anymore with that. And then the rest of the relief pitching. I mean, Hicks has been nibbling. He walked two guys, which forces him into bad situations. Same thing happened to Junior. He comes in to face George Springer. I turned to my wife and said, that sounds like a home run waiting to happen. Didn't even realize when I said it, the bases were loaded. Yeah, Junior hasn't been quite as sharp recently and ends up serving up that grand slam because he gets into a 3-2 count. Gets into a full count where you have to throw a strike and Springer is too good of a hitter not to basically know what's coming and send it yard. So that's what happens to the Cardinals tonight. Not great. What does it tell us about the team moving forward? Well, they they need to pay attention to the trade deadline. John Moselak, it's his time to shine. It really needs to be, I think, if the Cardinals are going to make anything happen in terms of, a, a postseason, an, a postseason run, or an October run, that is anything greater than what we've seen in recent years, and they're three games back right now. The Brewers, like, there's no guarantee this team makes the playoffs. They're a half game in front of the Phillies for the last wild card spot. The Giants, fortunately, have lost seven of their last ten. They're back under 500, so really, it's kind of a two man race right now between the Phillies and the Cardinals until something else changes. Padres are going to make the playoffs out of the West. Braves out of the East. Right now, they're nipping at the heels of the Mets, trying to avoid the wild card situation. And it looks like two teams out of the Central could make it unless the Phillies end up going on a run or the Giants do or somebody unforeseen wins 17 in a row. We know that's always possible. Uh, Cardinals did it last year. But right now, what they need is pitching and just to be better in general. Here's a take I disagree with, though. The notion that because the Cardinals need pitching so badly, you can make an argument that they need two starting pitchers. And how many relievers can you get? Because I think they could use one closer caliber reliever, two, three. There's literally no limit to the number of needs they have in the bullpen when guys like Hicks and Junior pitched the way they did tonight. Gio has been really rough recently, and Ryan Helsley can't find his way into these games. And I've stood by Ollie Marmel on a lot of these Ryan Helsley situations. Here's what I'll say, though. Wave the wave the white flag, the SOS signal, shoot the the solar flares if you're Ollie Marmel. Do whatever you got to do to tell John Mosley, like, I need relief help. Like, look at the guys that are out here. This is not getting the job done. If you want me to be protective and and prolong the career and healthiness and effectiveness of Ryan Helsley, he's all I've got right now, and I would love to be using him every day. So get me two more. I know Ryan Helsleys don't grow on trees. He's been the best reliever in the National League when he's been on the mound. It's pretty much not up for much dispute this year. But they just haven't been able to use him a lot. And there's a spot in today's game. It would have been earlier in the game, but it was still 3-3. And you had an opportunity in the middle innings to keep it that way. And the the train went off the tracks after that because you had to go to junior. Even at that point, it was 4-3, I believe. had to go to junior with the bases loaded instead of somebody else. And you get burned. You know, Junior hasn't been that guy in those spots recently. Gallegos has not been that guy in those spots recently. There have not been a lot of consistent efforts from that portion of the bullpen as of late. I know bullpens are fickle. I know it's a topsy-turvy, ebb and flow sort of deal throughout a season. But the consistent thing that we've said throughout the entire year has been, yeah, they could just use one or two more really good relief arms. And I know that they have tried to Turn some of these converted starters into good relievers. Jordan Hicks has got to throw strikes. It's great that you can throw 105. He has got to throw strikes. Or his value to the team is nil. It's getting to be put up or shut up time for a lot of these guys. And I can't keep talking around it. I want to be supportive of players that are putting in the work and trying to make it happen. But you've got to look at the numbers at some point. And walks is not going to cut it. And then when you're not missing bats at a very good rate, that's not going to help either. And the Cardinals have got to figure out what they're going to do about that from a bullpen perspective. Now, that does not mean to me that you can't also pursue this Juan Soto thing because I think I've solved it, folks. I think I've come up with a way to get both Juan Soto, who who will come along with Patrick Corbin to be your number five starter. Because remember, we're moving Palante to the bullpen. I think it could suit him well and maybe solve an issue there, right? You need good relievers. He had been one, two birds, one stone, et cetera. But then you go and get a pitcher. Now, there are some options available that maybe we didn't know for sure would be available this time last week. Talking about Pablo Lopez, which is a name that I've continued to tout that I would like to see the Cardinals make a run at. John Heyman tweeting on Tuesday afternoon that the Marlins are up to talk about anybody except for Sandy Alcantara in trade talks. And why would they talk about Sandy? He is pretty much goaded at this point in the National League landscape. He's got a really good shot to win Cy Young. He's been the best pitcher in the league to this point, in my opinion. So they'll talk about anybody else. And that includes Pablo Lopez, who is six and 6-5 with a 3.14 ERA this season. I'm doing this from memory. I've read these numbers so many times today. 109 innings pitched, 107 strikeouts, 35 walks. So 107 to 35 is his K-to-walk ratio. It's about 3-to-1. You take that. He is not making a ton of money, and he'll be in arbitration the next two years. So he'll be a free agent after the 2024 season. He's currently 26 years old, or at least he's in his age 26 season. He may have turned a different age by now. I, I don't believe so. I think he's 26. Would be a really good fit for the Cardinals as sort of that number three guy. And whether you say he'd be better than Michaelis or better than Wainwright or below those two guys, doesn't really matter. You get into a playoff series, a wild card series that I believe would take place on consecutive days. There might be an off day that I'm not aware of in the middle of that, but I know there's no travel day because the wild card series would take place In the same city. That's the advantage of having the home field advantage and the higher seed in that wild card round. But you need a third starter. And I think Pablo Lopez could certainly be that. What the Marlins seek, I, you know, it's anybody's guess, but it would make sense. People have speculated a center fielder would be nice for them. And that's where it gets really difficult right now that the Cardinals have Harrison Bader on this injured list and he has suffered a setback. I don't know if everybody caught this. I may have mentioned it on the last podcast, but with John Mosaylock having a Zoom on, I want to say it was Sunday when the news about Arnato and Goldschmidt was shared initially. Moselik also went on to say that Bader has experienced some pain when trying to run, did some drills, did some activity, and still has soreness, and so he's seeking a second opinion. The word second opinion, that phrase, not usually good, right, in terms of a guy's availability in the immediate future. So I have to imagine that that impacts his trade value if you were to go that route. It certainly impacts his ability to be on the field for the Cardinals if they were to go that route. I thought I had solved it if Bader was healthy because I think if you wanted to do it, here's what I would do. I've told you how I would push the Nationals to try to make a trade, and I'm going to introduce a new name into this tonight. Patrick Corbin needs to be involved. The Cardinals are not making a deal that they'd have to give up Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, like all these guys that are tremendous major league talents or or are going to be top prospects. I'm talking like Jordan Walker's top 10 in all of baseball. Mason Wynn is still kind of top 75 range, but he'll be top 50 before you know it and then maybe even rise above that before he gets to the big leagues at some point. So the Cardinals, historically, they build their organization in such a way that they want to have homegrown talent, cultivate it, bring it up to the big league level, dot, 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 profit. They don't want to have to build everything through free agency trade, It's not a sustainable model with where their payroll tends to fluctuate. They don't have unlimited funds the way the Yankees or Dodgers seem to have. Now, I think they probably have more ability to flex the payroll muscle than they typically let on, but that is a discussion for another day. Or really, it's not, because to, to do this Juan Soto trade, you know that they'd have to raise it. My point in all of this is I think they have the capacity to raise it if they so choose. If they really want to get aggressive, Aggressive, and they want to get aggressive now. It's the time to do it, in my opinion, because you've got Nolan, you've got Goldie. They're both in their primes. It's the final season of the triumvirate of Wainwright, Albert, Yachty. And Yachty will be back, by the way. News coming down the pipe on Tuesday. I believe John Denton reported it that the rehab likely to start for Yachty on Thursday in Memphis. He may only need a couple few games, and then he can rejoin the team. That sounds—I mean, the guy's been gone for six weeks or whatever it's been in Puerto Rico— People today also, in talking about the vaccine situation, say, well, why isn't anybody complaining about Yachty? Why aren't they holding his feet to the fire? Well, I think we all know what's going on with Yachty is that he's not what he once was, and he went off. The team gave him latitude to do so, to rehabble at home. Um, and while they, they say the report today is that his knee actually has responded better to treatment than they thought it would and that, that he looks really good, that could just be lip service. I, I, it's better than hearing the alternative, of course but we won't really know until we see what he looks like on the field and in action and how spry he looks. And he certainly looked good a couple weeks ago kicking that basketball, getting ejected from the Puerto Rican basketball game. But, like, he took a lot of latitude and and then maybe was an example of Cardinals gave him an inch or a foot or a yard and he took a mile because it took a lot of questions and uncomfortable silence before the organization was finally like, yeah, we'd really like to have him back. That'd be good to have now. Our catcher it would be cool. We're playing a season here. And then Yadi, I guess, probably sees that and goes, oh, yeah, okay, here's here's the deal. Here's what we'll do. And he finally makes his way back and all is well, or hopefully will be if he can perform on the field. But it's apples to oranges if you want to compare. Why why are, why are the media talking about Goldsmith and Aranato and not Yadi? I mean, Yadi will be questioned about his absence, I'm sure, upon his return. But if you look at his OPS+, plus and you look at Gold, Goldie's and Nolan Aronado's, I think Like, yeah, he's not as productive to the team as the two best hitters to the team. I don't know why this is controversial to say. It's the same reason we didn't care that Austin Romine didn't get vaccinated. That's his own blunder. It's a career blunder for Austin Romine. I don't care about anything else. I I mean, I'm talking about it from a competitive standpoint. If you're trying to catch on a roster and stay there and the team is going to Toronto, buddy, this is your shot to really continue your career. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He was going to... He's going to be sent down when Yachty gets back anyway. Why am I still talking about this? The point I was getting into before I got sidetracked, as so often happens, was that this is the time to get aggressive if you are Cardinals ownership, front office, and you really do want a World Series. If they just want to continue printing money and being close and putting themselves in the mix to potentially someday conceivably make a... that's just fine if that's the way you want to go. But realistically, look at the Dodgers. Look at how they've loaded up. Look at what the Mets have in terms of the pitching that their playoff rotation could encompass. Look at the Astros, the way they're playing. The Yankees have just some ridiculous talent on display right now. To compete with those teams, you can't just get yourself into the tournament anymore and say, well, hope it works out. That's not going to fly in 2022. There are teams that are just getting so far ahead of the curve, and I don't see how you compete with them. Cardinals did their darndest to compete with the Dodgers in the wild card game last year, fell short. And that was like as close as I think you're going to get to beating those kinds of teams without making some substantive changes. And a guy like Juan Soto doesn't come on the market all that often. And so it, to me, it is a, per, a perfect storm of trying to make something happen right now. So I think I've solved it, guys. I think I've solved it. It'll require a few things. It'll require Bill DeWitt to say, yes, we're going to raise payroll and figure out the rest. We've got money coming off the books after this year. So 23, 24, it's honestly, it won't be as bad as it seems. And maybe you can talk Washington into eating some of the Corbin money. So it's even less bad than it seems. But when you think of surplus value on a Juan Soto, that means basically what's he going to earn in terms of his salary and what's he worth to you on the open market? What would he get on the open market? If he's worth 50 million a year on the open market and you're paying him 30, that's 20 million of surplus value. And I have been sort of critical when I see people say, well, I plugged it into this trade website and I found out that the Cardinals could do this, this, and this, and it would work. But then I started looking into this. The Athletic actually put a good article out about the, uh, the trade baseball calculator, whatever it's called, the guy that put it together and stuff. And I've started tinkering around with it. I think it's important. Bottom line about this is for those, if I've criticized you for using it, I haven't meant to do that, but I've meant to just kind of say like, be careful, know that. This stuff is not the end-all be-all. It's it's fun to play with on the internet, but it doesn't make it real. That's the bottom line. We don't know what the Nationals want. We don't know what the Cardinals are willing to do. Those are limiting factors. But all that being said, what this website and this trade calculator does do well is talk about the surplus value and basically identifies Patrick Corbin's as big-time negative surplus value, which makes sense. That's really how teams are going to negotiate a trade is, hey, we don't want this Corbin guy. We're paying him $60 million and his surplus value is $58 because we really think on the open market, somebody might give him a flyer of $1 million, two million $2 to try and rectify his career. So he is a big bog down on a trade offer. That's perfect because all the Cardinals got to do is pay him. And the damn rotation is in such a sad state of affairs that they could actually use him to pitch for them. <laughs> so it is literally perfect that the Cardinals could pick this guy up and have him be their number five starter, as just a flyer on the end of a Soto contract. And in doing so, you save yourself potentially giving up a Jordan Walker or giving up an additional $58 million talent. I mean, for example, I'm not saying these values are exactly right. Don't don't take a trade value calculator online as the end-all be-all. The caveat is evergreen. But, like, Jordan Walker is, like, I don't know, 60-some-odd million in surplus value. Dylan Carlson is like $77 in, in surplus value. He's the most valuable Cardinal, according to this, which makes sense. He's already hitting at the big league level, solid player, great defender, four years of team control. That's a big deal in terms of trade value. Juan Soto, by himself, would be like $179 million of surplus value. So what that means is you could take on Soto, if you had unlimited resources, you'd take on Soto, and you'd be happy to take Corbin and pay him because you still have Soto. Even if Corbin is a complete drag on your payroll, you're still probably getting Soto for less than he'd be worth to you on the open market. Now, you can make the, the the claim that, well, the Cardinals would never pay open market prices for Juan Soto. That's fine, but they've never had the opportunity, and nobody has, to say, we can just have Juan Soto for money. So the fact that Juan Soto can become available here, and you got to pay some extra money to Corbin to get him, and it means you don't have to pay guys like Jordan Walker to do it, sign me up. It's so obvious to me. And I'm going to keep talking about it all the way through August 2nd, even though I don't think the Nationals are actually going to move him because they're going to have to get real, real quick, with what they're asking. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Let's reiterate it now. They want major league-ready talent. They want top prospects, and they want to get rid of Corbin. They will not get those three things. All three will absolutely not take place, especially not multiple of the MLB talent and multiple top prospects. It cannot happen. What they might get is a major league player, maybe a pitcher that's fringy, and a couple prospects, one of them probably top 50 or top 75, whatever, and then another top 100. Like, those things are possible, but you're not getting Carlson, Brendan Donovan, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, and a pitcher. Pick a pitching prospect. Like, you're not getting all of those pieces and Dumping Patrick Corbin on the Cardinals. I don't think the Nationals know that yet. But they've got, let's see, it's the 27th. So what do they got? They got six days to to find it out. They, they It's going to have to come quick. Or they're going to have Soto and they're going to have to deal with this in the offseason. Which maybe that's a, a better time to do it. Things slow down. You don't have to feel the pressure of a deadline in making this trade. But a lot of things can change at, at that point in time as well. And you may not have the same urgency from other teams to spring into action and make a deal. But if the Nationals end up trading in before the August 2nd deadline, it'll be because they lowered their asking price on one element of this. For the Cardinals' sake, I'm hoping it's not the Corbin aspect because that is the key to unlock the Cardinals' ability to do this deal. They don't want to trade all their best prospects because without Corbin in there, that negative $60 million or so in surplus value doesn't exist. And you have to pay... Basically, sticker price in terms of player cost to get Juan Soto. Forget what you're paying Soto in salary. That's still going to be below market value. You'll have to pay top talent to get him. Patrick Corbin is the price. Juan Soto is the prize. I will continue to say that and reiterate it because I think it makes a lot of sense. But now here's how I think the Cardinals could do it and still go get... I mentioned Pablo Lopez. Tarek Skubal potentially available from the Detroit Tigers. I don't know why they'd make him available. He's a solid league average to slightly above pitcher, but only 25 years old with a chance to still get better. And he's got like four years of team control remaining. If you can fleece the Tigers for that guy, I mean, I'd be giving up Libertor. I'd be giving up Burleson. I'd be giving up McGreevy. Like, just keep piling on names because I feel like even though Tariq Skubel is not a Cy Young winner, he's still very young and still, like, I think you underestimate what a really sturdy-ass number three starter would be like what that would mean to the Cardinals. So you give up prospects for that because you'd be killing for any of those pitching prospects to turn into what Tariq Skubal has already done for the Tigers. I've talked enough about him that I guess I should make sure to give you a quick skinny on what his numbers have actually been. He's a left-handed pitcher too, by the way. He's 7-8 with a 3.88 ERA this season, 106 innings pitched, pitched 149 last year in really his first full season. In this year, 111 strikeouts in 106 innings. So more than a K per inning. Uh, the walk rate, pretty darn good. Only 27 walks. That's even better than what we've seen from Pablo Lopez. And the other Pablo Lopez concern, workload. While Pablo Lopez, I would argue, has had better numbers, lower ERA, than Tariq Skubal, I think lower WHIP as well. The ERA, 3.14 compared to 3.88. I, t- I take the Lopez side of that. But here's something interesting. He's had injuries in the past. And you look at Lopez over the years. Here's what he's compiled in the bigs, starting in 2018. 58 innings, 111 the next year, 57 in 2020, which was the COVID year, so you give him a pass for that. 102 last year in 20 starts, and 109 this year. He's a start away from eclipsing his career high in innings pitched. Does that concern you going into a pennant chase down the stretch run of August to September? Do you necessarily want to give a full package for that guy? Maybe there are questions about that. That might be baked into his asking price or the Marlins' asking price on him. And if they do want an outfielder, I think Bader makes so much sense if he were healthy. I I don't know about Tyler O'Neill. I guess I would do that, but I probably wouldn't give a lot on top of O'Neill. It's interesting because in both cases, like the Marlins have a lot of pitching prospects, but one of them, Max Myers, just on the IL, like the, the elbows of these top young, hard-throwing prospects just do not stay intact, and it's really unfortunate. But that means they can never have too much pitching. So I can't imagine that they would just say, yeah, we'll give you a bonafide pitcher at 26 years old who's under control for your bonafide fide outfielder who's had injury concerns uh, himself and has not played all that well this year like maybe they would do that swap straight across and if I'm the Cardinals I think I have to consider it but especially if I can go and get Juan Soto right like my ideal my dream is that Bader is involved in getting a Pablo Lopez and I, I forget the exact trade that I had dreamed up but it was Bader with, I think, Gordon Grisefo, who's top 100 prospect, according to Baseball America. Good A pitcher. A lot of lot of social media folks. A lot of Kyle Reese's of the world. The Twitter people are in on this guy. Uh, I think he's still got a lot of development to undergo, but he's still pretty young. 23 years old, I believe he is. Doing a solid job at double A this year. I would trade him, though, because, again, bird in the hand, better than two in the bush, etc. Sometimes these prospects that look like they're going to turn into something great, they don't. Every once in a blue moon, they turn into Sandy Alcantara, and we'll harp on that for a million years, but it's not like the Cardinals... It's not like we can really blame them. We can just talk about the outcome and saying, man, that sucks that Sandy is the one that got away. But realistically, you got to be reasonable and not necessarily blame them for it as though it was just this huge talent evaluation miss. Like it was a miss, but it was one that can happen, and they're going to when you make trades. You can't be gun-shy in making these kinds of trades when you're trying to improve your team and win a World Series. A lot of people like that phrase. Prospects are cool, but parades are cooler or flags fly forever. Those things are true, but they also imply that by trading the prospects, you get the flag, you get the parade. You don't always get those things, but I do agree with a an aggressive mentality to try to acquire them. I think that definitely makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense right now with where the Cardinals are. So I'm looking at Scooball from the Tigers. I'm looking at Pablo Lopez from the Marlins. Evidently, we find out on Tuesday, both of those guys could be available. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm definitely pursuing it. Whether it's an O'Neill, I would, again, I'd rather it not be O'Neill because I think O'Neill can still be a middle order bat, especially if your outfield is O'Neill, Carlson, Soto. That would be substantial to go along with Goldie and Arenado in your lineup. That's like, again, I've used the analogy of Thanos and the Infinity Stones. I think O'Neill can still be one. Soto definitely is one. Bader probably is not. If he were healthy, he would still be racking up wins above replacement because of his defense and and league average hitting, and he would be probably raising his trade value if there was such a thing. I don't think it's possible, though, because of the injury. Not while he's getting a second opinion. I just can't imagine it. But if we were in fantasy land, I would have used Bader with a McGreevy and a Graceffo to go get Pablo Lopez. They get their outfielder that they so desperately crave in Miami, and they come up with two pitchers that could potentially replace Lopez down the road in Graceffo and McGreevy, who was first-round pick last year from the Cardinals. So you're in good shape with that. And then you turn around. I would have done the Soto trade first, honestly, because it it looks cooler that way. But then you trade for Juan Soto and Petra Corbin. And here's the name I think you may have to give up, and maybe they don't like him, and so it's a non-starter. We've heard rumors that they don't like Matthew Libertor, and so even though your surplus value calculator might see that, oh, he's very valuable in a trade— because he's a top 40 prospect, Nationals might say, we don't think he's going to be a good pitcher, so we don't want to trade for him at that value. All right, that's fine. Here's another name. Nolan Gorman is the name I'm going to throw out there because I'm protective of, here's who I'm protective of. Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker. It's my it's my 1A, my 1B. I won't trade him. I don't want to, certainly, under any circumstances. Even for Soto, I could be talking into it, maybe, but I, I definitely would prefer not to. Especially Carlson in the case of Bader having issues with his foot and not being able to return to center field, I think I do need Dylan there. But because I'm telling the Nationals, I'm taking Corbin from you, so just ignore the 1A and the 1B, but you can have everybody else. And unfortunately, I think the next best player in terms of value and team control and upside is Nolan Gorman. And so I think I would trade him, and I'd try to make him the headliner along with Mason Wynn in a Juan Soto trade. I would go Gorman, and I haven't tweeted this poll out DM me at B schaefer 12 on Twitter after you listen to the podcast. And if I haven't tweeted out the poll, say, hey, that's a great poll, and here's how I would vote, yes or no. But I'm looking at Soto and Corbin, and, again, you're taking all the Corbin money in this case. It'd be nice if they pay it down some like the Rockies did for Nolan, uh, but let's just assume that they won't do that because they're really trying to get rid of that money before they sell the team. I'm looking at Soto and Corbin, and I'm giving them Gorman, which I don't want to do. I think he's still a good player with upside, but we had a good caller on the radio show on KTGR today who said, what about the comparison of Gorman to Colby Rasmus in terms of being a, a raw power hitter who hasn't really come into his own yet? And I would say, well, Colby had a lot of off-the-field stuff with Tony La Russa and his dad trying to tell him this and that about his swing. The team didn't like that. And so and there was drama surrounding Rasmus when they traded him away before that 2011 World Series run. With Gorman, there's no such drama, but there is a guy that's really talented but has some holes in his swing, hasn't been hitting all that well recently, looking a little overmatched at times against big league pitching. I like what he's done defensively at second base, honestly. But offensively, like, there's no big knocks on the guy, but it's just he's still pretty raw, and we don't know what the upside is going to be or whether he could hit it. And so I think that honestly plays in the Cardinals' favor as long as the Nationals haven't looked at what he's done this year and say, yeah, we just think there's too many holes and we don't want to have him be the headliner of this trade if we're giving up a franchise icon. Okay, so be it. But I'm looking at it and saying Gorman, Mason Wynn, who's a double-A shortstop, top-75 prospect, on the rise, could be even higher this time next year, certainly. Those two guys as headliners, you might not get your 1A or 1B, but Gorman and Wynn, we're already talking some big names here. And then let's get into the pitching side of it. Which pitchers remain? Well, if we gave up Graceffo and McGreevy to the Marlins and the Pablo Lopez deal, or we're planning to do that, Who else remains? Well, maybe you have to go Graceffo into this deal and Libertor into the other deal to the Marlins because they don't like Libertor in Washington, D.C. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe you give, instead of either of those guys to the Nationals, you go maybe Zach Thompson. Maybe you go lower in terms of age and go Tink Hentz, who is still at high A, but really looking like a guy that could have a bright future, still pretty young. I think he's only 20, maybe 19, and was a second-round pick in 2020. Maybe that's a name that you're able to put into the deal and give them Burleson as well to replace Soto. Again, you could reverse this. If Miami likes Burleson and Washington says, we don't need a center fielder necessarily, but we'll take Burleson or we'll take Bader or we'll take O'Neal, you could throw an outfielder to each side. I think you'd do that. I don't think anybody is looking at Lars Nupar as being a significant part of this just yet. Maybe a Brendan Donovan, maybe a Yepes if healthy. Those are guys you could throw into this this side of things with Washington. But I think that it would be compelling. I did plug it into that trade website. Like I said, not the end-all be-all, but it was. I, I think there are ways to make it at least plausible to where if Washington is motivated enough and you get a Gorman who was a top 100 prospect before he graduated to the big leagues this year and Wynn, who is also a top 100 prospect. Burleson is a top 100 prospect on Baseball America. He's around 90. And then you look around and... Find some pitching. Maybe Andre Pallante is an answer. I don't personally want to trade him, but if they want MLB-ready guys, he's he's pitched in the big leagues, three and a half ERA. Zach Thompson, similar story. Don't want to trade him, but if you had to... I don't know about Jordan Hicks having trade value right now. Don't think Jack Flaherty, he's got negative trade value, if anything, because he just he's not healthy. So you can't really count on him to be anything with a shoulder concern that's been lingering for over a year. Don't look in that direction. But I, I think with... Enough pitching and having Gorman win be kind of a, a tent pole for a Juan Soto trade. I think you could theoretically do both. Will they? Yeah, probably not. But I'm just, I think it just goes to show the strength of the young talent in the organization right now that you could even dream it up and say, yeah, actually, I think those things could happen. You'd decimate your farm system, but man, you'd have a really good roster and you still have Jordan Walker and Dylan Carlson, the way that I drew it up. So, Let me know what you think about that. I don't know if it's realistic. I I think it's even less likely that the Cardinals would hear it and say, yeah, we'll do that. We'll trade seven or eight of our our young, talented players that is close to 50 years in service time. We're not, you know, they're probably not doing that. But I think if you wanted to go all in and really buck the trend of what the Cardinals have been for the last five-ish years where they just seem to kind of get close and they make a run and it doesn't work out and they've had to change managers multiple times and... Now, the new manager, they thought he was going to be this yes man, but that was always a stupid narrative because he's doing the same things that Schilt did and saying, yeah, you got to miss bats. We got to do certain things we could use. You know, he hasn't said, Mo, get us some help. But, I mean, he's, if you if you read between the lines of some of the phrases, he could definitely uh, be appreciative of some, some outside assistance at this point in time because he's got the relievers that he's got and he's got the lineup that he's got. He's got the rotation that he's got. I think it's time for John Mozeliak to kick it into gear. To find a way to make something happen before August 2nd. What will it be? Could it be a variety of moves? Trade for some relievers in a starter? Even if it's not Soto, I think that would be productive. Uh, but I do think if you went Pablo Lopez or Scooball and Soto Corbin, it would be the most dynamic trade deadline in Cardinals history. And I struggle to find many ways for it to go wrong. I really do. So let me know what you think about it. That's kind of the way I've drawn it up. Again, I don't want to act like any of this is likely, but... We're a podcast here. We're trying to entertain. We're also trying to make you think. And uh, I'm curious what you think about that. And maybe I'll put together that Soto-Corbin poll for Wednesday because I have not actually tweeted out a Juan Soto poll with a trade poll that involved Corbin as well. And I do think that's the most likely way for it to go down if the Cardinals are to make something happen. Like Corbin's got to be in it to me. So probably should tweet that out on Wednesday. Let me know what you think at Bshafer12 on Twitter. First time I've said this show uh, on the show in 51 minutes, but please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so. We've gotten our listenership up quite a bit over the last week with trade talk, and people are really excited this time of year. I would love for you guys to stay with the show. And if you're on the fence about it, DM me, at 12 Be like, you know what? show's okay, but I would probably listen more if you did this. I am literally a blank canvas, and I want to know what you guys want to hear in a Cardinals podcast, because that's what I'm trying to be here to provide. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The sounding board is at bshafer12 on Twitter and in the direct messages on the Tweet Machine. Appreciate you guys. As always, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Daily. Peace.